Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. The Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your mobile phone or your computer into a GPS. And Onyx has been coming out with some new features lately that I'm really excited about. The first one here that I want to talk about is the 3D feature. So you can turn your mapping, your your aerial view, everything into a three-dimensional image, almost like you would see, say, with something like uh, Google Earth or something along those lines. So now Onyx has your regular topography layers, your aerial layers, your hybrid layers overlaid, and then you can also throw the 3D into the mix, and it's just really incredible. Right now, they're just in the, the testing phases of it. You can use it on your app, but Note that there'll be some changes and improvements as it goes along. So definitely uh, be able to check that out and and use it to your advantage, especially when hunting, you know, mountain bucks and some things like that where there's some terrain into it. You might be able to find those little benches that are uh, otherwise hidden and tougher to find. Elk 101, so Corey Jacobson has come out with the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available, and that is called the University of Elk Hunting. The University of Elk Hunting is uh, has 17 different modules that you can go through from beginning to end, everything from the planning phases, which if you're planning on doing an elk hunt next year, wouldn't be a bad idea to, to start ahead. This course is, takes quite a while to go through. This isn't something you read through in a night. You get your money's worth out of it and has a whole bunch of information, detailed videos, uh, reading, everything to, to go through, gear lists. I mean, things that, uh, again, your one-stop shop for elk hunting. So if you want to increase your chances at having elk hunting success, head over to elk101.com. Use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST and that'll save yourself 20% off of the online course. And last but not least, Tethered. So Tethered has is, is continuing to change the game when it comes to lightweight mobile hunting gear. And they're doing that specifically through saddle hunting and just coming out with new products constantly and just changing the way the industry thinks about lightweight. And, and in addition to that, safe lightweight. I've never felt so safe as I do when I'm in a saddle because I'm always connected to the tree. There's no point at any time where I'm disconnected. And so just to give you an example of me using my saddle this past weekend, I was doing a a scouting slash hunting uh, trip on Saturday and I hiked over six and a half miles with my saddle and sticks, everything in uh in my pack and then eventually found some hot sign my found checked one of my trail cameras had some good bucks on it and set up right there immediately you know with a traditional stand set up and stuff i might not be able to do that so it's it's really nice to be able to to to, to do that and have that mobile capability so head over to tetherednation.com to check out tethered and all of all of the other saddle hunting information that they have available. 
Okay, so this podcast is going to be a little bit different than uh, some of the recent ones here. So I'm doing this going to be a full question and answer podcast. So it's going to be a solo one. It's just with me. I'm the more I the, when I I started the idea for this with I asked a question on my Instagram story about questions people wanted to hear with mountain bucks. Well, I got so many different uh, questions and, and, you know, thoughts and things. So one, I'm going to break this down to two episodes and two, and then I'm also going to do some more of these in the future, but with guests on and almost go through like a scenario basis. So say I have, you know, someone like Nathan Killen on and Nathan and I go back and forth of answering, you know, questions, say a question with, you know, dealing with wind and how do you hunt it? I'll give my situation, then he gives his, and we discuss it. I think that would be a really beneficial thing, and um, so that, that's something I want to do in the in the future as far as topics go. But for this episode, like I said, I'm going to give you my opinions on this. I am I am not going to sit here and tell you I know everything with it that I'm the most successful hunter when it comes to mountain bucks. I am definitely not. I've been doing it for quite a while. I've had pretty consistent success with it, but I'm not, you know, I'm not killing the six, seven, eight year old deer every year. I'm talking, you know, uh, three year old deer, four five, six, you know, somewhere in that range. And I don't want to, again, I don't want to sound like I know everything. These are my opinions and, you know, take it for what it's worth. Uh, when it comes to that, there's a, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. So just, just keep that in mind as we start to go through this. But before I dive into these questions here, I did want to say that uh, the Above the Circle film launch, so the Caribou Hunting film, has launched over on YouTube and it just just launched here on Sunday, October 11th, and I'm very happy with the response I've got so far. I mean, the film, I, I'm very, very proud of it, and when I say that, Justin just crushed it, you know, with uh, the filming and the production and everything else. So if you would be so kind and head over to my YouTube channel, which is my, it's just my name, Bo Martonic, and check out the video above the circle. And also make sure you read the description because there's a way to win some Sika gear, mountain ops, and some elite memberships from Onyx. So a lot of different stuff I'm giving away there, but that's only this week that you can enter. So hopefully you listen to the podcast early enough to go over and enter. And uh, if you do like it, I mean, definitely give it uh, the podcast. Th- I mean, not the podcast, <laughs> the, <clears throat> excuse me, the video, thumbs up, comment, and, you know, subscribe to the channel. And if you really like it, share it with your friends and family, social media, whatever, that, that helps out so much. And really helps for me to be able to do more of these videos in the future. So that is uh, it's something that I'm I'm pretty pumped about, and uh, I hope that you are too. To kind of get into how my hunting season has gone to this point. So since the last episode I recorded, I got out a few different times. I got out this past weekend, which was pretty hot weather. Um, the, the weather was definitely not ideal. But with that being said, 
I wanted to still see, you know, what, what I could get into. And I hear a lot of people talking about the red moon and that was supposed to be the perfect week for it. And there has been some really good bucks hitting the ground in the area. So I wanted to, to get in and give my shot. So I tried on Friday night, I went into an apple orchard, actually a spot that I haven't scouted nor hunted in two years, but I knew it was a good apple year and this orchard always holds them. It's a spot. It's not, not too difficult to access or anything, but I never run into other people hunting it. So that's always a positive thing. And also it kind of kept me out of some of my better places. So I wasn't in there boogering it up as, you know, I haven't really, I don't have any bucks, you know, quote unquote patterned to, um, to do that. So I just hunted that Friday night, quick spot after work and had a doe come in and it's funny. So the doe looked up at me because a raccoon crossed the creek. So it was a creek bottom apple orchard, which most of them are. And a raccoon was making a bunch of noise under my tree. And the deer started snorting at the raccoon. And then all of a sudden looked up the tree and saw me hanging there. So I, uh, she was looking at me and couldn't figure out, just didn't move. And then she started snorting and walking away and blowing at me. So I just, I started blowing at her back. She turned right around and came back in and then settled down throughout the night. So that was kind of funny. Uh, a little test that I, I did there. And my, my dad's told me he's done that before. So it was something I learned from him. <laughs> but, and then I was climbing down from my tree. It was just getting dark. And I thought the doe had kind of moved away, but I knew she wasn't too far. And as I'm get down to the base of my tree, pack everything up, pack my saddle up, my sticks, start hiking out and I get right about to the apple tree and there's six does at like 10 yards, maybe even closer. And it's funny when you're in the dark with a light, how they're just not as afraid. I mean, the wind was in my favor, but I was obviously right there and making noise. So it was kind of a, an odd experience, but you know, that was how my Friday night went. Saturday, I did not hunt in the morning. I decided to get some work done for the film release and do some stuff around the house. So I did that and then went out in the afternoon and just had a plan for this giant loop of a walk. I had some trail cameras at some of the furthest point, but I wanted to scout my way there and just kind of fast paced walk and check some different apple trees that I'd found in the spring, which all of them were a fail. And then got out to this spot where I, again, I'd scout in the spring and I put up some cameras in early September and, uh, ended up having some, some really good bucks on it moving, you know, right around that dark time frame. So they were using this point to bet on as what was some I assumed I'd never found any specific beds that were like oh yeah this is it but i just knew that it just seemed like the right place for them to bed the way the area laid out it was thick cover um had some little openings within it and i just had a camera set up on the side hill um on a, a community scrape that uh, i had there and so they came out and i just set up right there and it was about just over two miles from the truck so it was quite a quite a hike into this spot, but I um, 
I got completely skunked. Never saw a deer that whole night. I actually had a nice, probably 120-inch eight-point there the night before on camera. And I was kind of hoping he didn't come in at the same time, you know, because I, I would definitely probably shoot him. And it was a, a good, looks like a three-year-old eight-point, very, very respectable buck. So I, uh, but I had some bigger ones on that I was hoping that would be there. But the only reason why I decided to set up was more or less had some activity around dark and I was already there. So it wasn't like I was going to, you know, mess up the spot anymore. But nonetheless, we've got a big cold front coming through the end of this week. I am definitely going to be in a tree Friday night after work and Saturday morning. I got some stuff going on Saturday evening, so I won't be able to hunt, but I will definitely be out there in the morning. I try to take this time of year where I'm not, I guess I don't think my odds are as high as they are, you know, later in October. So I try to take these times and spend more time doing other things, getting stuff done around the house, spending time with family and my girlfriend and everything else and trying to, you know, balance things a little better than maybe I've done in the past. So that's one of the things I'm, I'm going to do there. And then coming into the, the following you know, weekend there actually I'm in a wedding, which I know terrible planning on his part, but, uh, so I won't get to hunt that weekend, but then right after that comes into when, uh, Jared from tethered is coming in to do some filming and hunting with me for like four days, the end of October. And then that jumps into, uh, go back to work for a week and be in November. And then the second week in November, Justin Mueller, who filmed my caribou hunt, he's coming out here to film as well. If I happen to tag out early, going to head over to New York or Ohio to hunt. So got some, some big plans going on here, but I hadn't given a really good recap of my deer season to date. So I wanted to start off this episode with that. All right. So these Q and a questions are going to relate to the early and mid season so I put them together this way. So for the, you know, the time of year and, and also split it up. The next one will be more of a pre-rut rut, uh, episode. So started off, uh, first question is how do mountain bucks differ from your typical ag field mixed land bucks? And the best way I would describe that is mountain bucks or big woods bucks, which they're different and the same at the same time are, they're, they're, they don't really have these destination food sources and, you know, your strict bedding cover areas because there's so many places for that. So I don't, I am not a person that believes that bucks in the, the big woods and the mountains have, you know, one spot that they bed or one area. I think they move around quite a bit. And so it, it can make it difficult. So these bucks are... I would say almost living more of a, a natural how deer is supposed to be life and rather than when you're in your typical ag field mixed, mixed kind of bucks. They're, they're almost, I don't know how to put this, like persuaded by other, you know, things by having food sources, you know, whether that's farm crops or food plots, things like that. So, there's not as much, you know, bed to food. There's some of that with when you have acorns and apple trees and stuff, but most of the time it's not typically that way. The second question is, how do your locations change from opening day 
versus the following weeks from hunting pressure. So the, the biggest thing there is, is opening day. I think you could definitely catch a buck, um, hitting some of the food sources like acorns and apple trees and, and stuff along those lines without some of those more mass crops. You can find them hitting them in daylight yet before some pressure moves in and also just other things that change their behavior a little bit but you know so i i might hunt not as aggressive the on opening day as i do you know coming towards the following weeks the following weeks my locations are pushing a little bit you know further either into the cover or right on the edge you know i'm trying to start moving towards those scrapes that are you know, still on the way to maybe some sort of a food source if possible, or, you know, on edge of a logging cut or something that where they might be bedding and feeding him. So trying to move a little bit closer as, as things, you know, progress, because one of the areas I'm hunting this year does have a lot of hunting pressure, but most of the people are hunting those food sources. And, you know, whether that be the oak tops or some of the apple trees, I know I gave an example earlier where I found apple trees that weren't hunted much, but essentially I'm trying to differentiate myself from them and move back in a little bit closer, hopefully to catch them, you know, from their bed, you know, in daylight there. So the, and that kind of leads into the next question is, can you pattern mountain bucks? I, I think it's maybe possible i can never say that i've successfully patterned uh, a mountain buck they just don't seem to use the same trails and the same stuff over and over again because their food is so sporadic and spread out and even if there is mass crops they're feeding on so many other different things and browse and i was watching some does the or opening morning i was on the edge of this like four-year-old logging cut and they'd literally just bed down stand up chew on some blackberry briars lay back down get up eat on some ferns over in this little opening and then kind of go over and start eating some beech leaves off a tree i mean no rhyme or reason to what they were eating but they were you know eating a lot of different things so that uh that's one of those things that i i don't really think at least with with my capability at this point, I'm not able to pattern mountain bucks. I think you can look at trends from year to year. Um, you know, maybe when it comes to certain scrapes or certain if you find signpost rub, so a rub that's hit year after year that they might you know eventually go back to again, but not in any sort of like all right, three days in a row this buck came out of this trail. I just don't see that happening. Again, my opinion. Next question or, you know, kind of statement here is dealing with the wind and how do you hunt the wind? And so the wind in the mountains and in some of the big woods with some hill country terrain is extremely difficult. I do. I always go by, say, what Weather Underground says as far as like their typical wind direction. And that's kind of my starting point. But. If I, if I can get into an area ahead of time, say I'm scouting, especially in season's the best time to be able to figure this out, but you got to figure out what the wind does in that specific area because you have thermals that come into play. 
So, you know, your typical thermals are sun goes down and uh, say in the evening or while the sun still hasn't come up yet on, say, to warm up a certain mountainside, the, the air is going to be pulling down the hills towards the bottom from top to bottom. And as the sun comes out and heats it up, the, your, the air starts or the thermals start coming up the mountain and start coming up towards it. And that's why you always hear about bucks bedding you know, just over the edge of a point or on the edge of a side hill where they can get the prevailing wind coming across the top and the regular thermals coming up in the day. Well, that's in a perfect world. That does not happen that easily, and every place is different. It's not a very straightforward answer here, but I'm going to tell you um, another example of this. So again, on Saturday, I was scouting, and this one side hill is all hemlocks had some camera well, I was putting up a camera and there's a signpost for up there and a little like secondary trail. So when I say a secondary trail, one is not heavily used, but I think that the mature buck in the area or bucks are using this trail. They, that spot, it was two o'clock in the afternoon and sunny out and the thermals were still pulling down the hill, the completely opposite direction of the regular the irregular prevailing wind and the reason for that is it was such heavy hemlock cover or conifer trees that it's just constantly shaded and so it comes down off of uh, the hill there so that's one of those things that again if i was never in that area i may not know that so it's it's something to definitely pay attention to or if you're on say a, a north facing slope or or something like that that might not get as much sun then those thermals are going to pull down for longer or in a creek bottom you know sometimes those thermals are pulling down longer depending on what the cover looks like there's so many differences there so understanding how that works in your area is a is a pretty big deal and so the way that I'm using the wind and hunting it I if I was one of those guys that was like, I am not hunting unless the wind is perfect for this spot, then I'd never hunt. There's so many different little bumps and benches and stuff that come off of these hills that there's no just perfect thermals. You get swirling sometimes. You have things that happen. You know, I almost like it when there's not... Um, much of a wind speed because then you're not having that swirling action as much as if you have higher winds. So that's one of the things how, what I'm using with, with wind specifically. Next question is, do you use ozone and or cover scent on your clothes? And then the second part of the question, does ozone destroy sick gear? So I'll answer the second one first. Ozone does not destroy sick gear anymore. It used to ruin the elastic straps on Sika. It didn't ruin the clothing, just the straps. Or like, um, say it was beyond the the bibs of the Fanatic um, bibs, and uh, it used to ruin that. And any and now they Sika is adapted to that, and it does not do anything to it. So ozone is safe as long as you use the recommended times on Sika gear and other high end clothing. From what I understand. The next part is, you know, <coughs> excuse me, using ozone and cover scent. So I do wash my clothes in scent-free wash. I do put on scent-free deodorant. Um, and I usually spray down when I get out of my truck to go in the field. 
But that's about the extent of it. I don't go above and beyond. I'm not, I don't get, I don't drive to my stand in certain clothes and then change the truck and, you know, be completely scent free. I just don't do that. I'm I'm not saying that doesn't help you. Um, but I, I've just not found that that's, that's really that much more beneficial for me to go through that trouble. So I do not do that. I'll wear my clothes, you know, in my truck, I'll go, sometimes I'll, you know, go in my house afterwards, go into my camp. Like I do not worry about it a whole lot. And then, um, ozone, I've never used ozone for anything. Um, as far as for a cover scent or in the tree, no ozone, nothing like that. So I, I can't speak on those products. I'm sure it does help. I've heard people swear by them, but I, I do not use them, especially with something like an Ozonics when you're in the mountains. The wind's always, you know, if it's swirling or doing something different, you're always having to point that thing and, and change it in a different direction. Just seems like added cluster in, in my opinion. So the next one's it's kind of a loaded question, so I'm going to try to answer it uh, quickly. But how do you scout an area by using Onyx and what terrain features are you looking for? So the first thing I'm going to say is I do have a YouTube series um, over on my YouTube channel that dives into this in much greater detail than what I'm going to say right here. But for the podcast, basically what I'm using with Onyx and train features is I'm looking for I'm looking for where train features mix with vegetation features. So I like edges. I like edges of vegetation and whether that be conifer trees like hemlocks or pine trees, clear cuts of all different ages, um, open hardwoods, say oaks, cherries, beech. And so those in combination with train features like the ones I'm looking for, are points of hills and the way they look uh the benches on the towards the upper one third of the hill mostly focusing on those type of benches and uh and even the the area between the top and that first bench on the side hill there those are areas i focus on and then also saddles as well and so those are the the main ones i'm focusing on as well as even train features I'll consider this a train features crick bottom. So the crick bottoms, the ones I'm looking for specifically have multiple drainages or draws that run into one area. So you, and when, when that, when you have a situation like that, this is specifically towards the rut, which I know the questions here weren't gauged to that, but I'll speak on it a little bit. So, <clears throat> That if I say a buck's traveling a ridge and he wants to go across to another one, to another say doe bedding area or something along those lines, they'll use those little draws or drainages to come down and cross and go up, um, or use the creek to run down to another area. Sometimes the way the creek bottoms can be laid out, they can be thick in cover, and does will bed right in the bottoms, so that can be a really good spot for that. And then using different. Um, vegetation features to funnel them to an, an area and under vegetation features i'm going to categorize water bodies in that as well in specifically beaver ponds they can really funnel deer to one side or the other uh, and then also you know 
above or below depending on where they're able to cross. So those are things I'm looking for as far as using Onyx. And then how I'm narrowing down a large area to a smaller manageable area to scout is finding those really good terrain features that catch my eye. But more importantly is the different vegetation features that are mixed in with that. So I had hunted some areas um, in northern PA that were just all hardwoods, big timber type stuff, and had the right terrain, but not as much vegetation feature changes that made it difficult. So finding areas that have a mixture of different age clear cuts and the the different conifer trees and and then also the hard, open hardwoods combination. Those are areas I'm going to focus on a lot more than areas of just big hardwoods or more similar like terrain. I'm looking for different terrain and vegetation. So that's how I'm kind of narrowing down those larger areas. So how I'm finding the mature king of the mountain types type bucks in Northern PA is cover. I mean, cover is one of the biggest things when you have good cover and a mixture of different types of cover, you don't even need to be as far off the road um, some of my spots I've found, I've got a camera in one place right now, less than a hundred yards from a road and it's a really good spot. And then also the other thing is distance. So, you know, to kind of combat what I just said about being close to the road, if you find areas that are further away, you know, usually over that mile range, sometimes even just over half mile, you can eliminate a lot of the hunters, which tends to grow some bigger deer, but I think covers the biggest thing for that. And with cover comes, you know, a bunch of, you know, with different types of cover also comes different foods and usually in the form of clear cuts, um, and just different types of brows, the more food that they have, the more that these bucks can have healthier bodies year round, which leads to larger antlers essentially. And the next question is how do you find bucks when the general deer population is low? this goes straight back again to the differences in vegetation, finding those areas that have different vegetation features, because that's where the food's at. That's where the deer are going to go. So when you don't have many, they're going to, they're going to go to those areas that have the most food. And what you're doing there is, you know, finding, finding bucks in relation to that. And a lot of it comes to boots on the ground and low deer density areas, Aerial scouting is very, very important to my strategy, but I think more importantly in these low deer density areas, getting boots on the ground and scouting them to be able to find, you know, those bucks and looking for that sign that, um, that, you know, whether that be rubs, which I don't find as many of those, I think because they don't need to compete as much because there's not as many deer, then, you know, I'm not finding that. Um, rubs is as prevalent, but you know, some scrapes looking for tracks, um, anything there is, is kind of what, what I'm focusing on when it comes to finding bucks in a general low deer population area. The next question is what sign do you look for in the, the woods for deer movement, bedding and feeding areas? So when, when I'm looking, so, all right bedding is essentially going to be in a couple different places it could be anywhere this is just a rule of thumb is you know with terrain features like the points of ridges or hills and you know out around those points 
in a full 180 degrees around those points that could be bedded. Um, and then also any of the, the thick vegetation areas on the edge of those, or even sometimes on the inner parts of it, if you have some little openings or logging roads that go within it. And then as far as feeding areas go, I'm looking, that's a lot of boots on the ground because that's changing constantly. You're not always going to have the mass crops, of acorns, or a lot of the areas I hunt don't even have oak trees. So that comes down to trying to figure out what the preferred food source is that time of year, which is walking those woods and figuring out, looking where all the ferns are trampled down or where there's a ton of you know, tracks in a, in a location, or you can see where like deer meandering around. It's finding those, those, you know, food sources that don't necessarily jump out at you and being able to do that. So I'm looking for those type of things when, when I'm looking for sign in, in an area. And next question is how does public land pressure change deer habits throughout the hunting season? And this question kind of comes back to one of the earlier ones, but the deer definitely, when they get pressured a lot, are going to go to this. They're going to go to the thicker cover, and also use the terrain to their advantage, which is the side hills. Side hills can be huge. They might not leave as much sign on the side hills, they're because it's a little bit more difficult for them to lay down some of that sign. In in my opinion, you might see the rubs, but not as much scrapes or tracks. You know, a lot of time it's rocky or you know compacted dirt or covered with leaves you're not finding tracks as easy but those side hills are great places most people aren't gonna you know either come in from the bottom to climb partial way up the hill or come from the top and come over Um, they're usually hunting the tops and the bottoms depending on where the roads are so that's what i would do and that's what i do do as far as public land pressure changes um, as the deer you know change adapt through that pressure throughout the season Next question has to do with how does pre-storm and post-storm weather affect movement and activity? So I, if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know that I'm a big fan of weather fronts. And I think before um, the weather front comes in that, that you know day leading up to or as the front's coming in, you might get the deer up on their feet a little bit earlier moving around but most of my most of my experience with is right after that front pushes through or that day so say you have let's give a couple examples say there's a rainstorm coming through in the middle of october which we're in right now so if a rainstorm comes through those bucks right after the rain's done are going to want to go through and freshen up their scrapes, leave their scent back behind, you know, communicate a little bit with the other deer. And so that's when I find, you know, hunting scrapes, it can be a really good tactic, you know, right after those rainstorms and with cold weather that just, I I think the deer want to just be up feeding longer, you know, into the daylight and, you know, take might, might go back to bed a little bit later. So that's, the, so those cold weather days um, are really affect movement and activity from my perspective. I've talked to different biologists and stuff, and none of them will say that it does um, because there's no factual information behind it. But from my experience, it definitely does. One of the things, say you get a, a major cold front that comes through during the the rut, and again, I'm pushing you know a little bit ahead here to talk about the rut, but 
midday movement could be super good. So if it's really, really cold in the morning, they might be laying down to kind of preserve some of that energy and letting the toes bed down. And as after they bed down that mid morning through afternoon, then they're up moving and cruising. And, uh, so that's, that's what, where I see those fronts being really important during that time of year. But right now, mid October, cold front comes through. I'm trying to hunt scrapes. That's, that's my biggest thing. I'm trying to hunt scrapes closer to bedding. Um, if possible, closer to cover. That's, that's my big tactic when it comes to this time of time of year. And so in an area without clear cuts or oaks, how would you locate mountain bucks? So in a recent podcast, I think it was two episodes ago, was Zach Farrenbaugh. Him and I dive really deep into finding those secondary food sources. So I definitely recommend checking that one out. But that is trying to find what the preferred browse is and if there's any other mass crops in the area. Um, trying to trying to figure out what that might be. You know, I've I've found even areas that don't don't have the the clear cuts and everything they'll they'll eat even they'll eat ferns they'll eat briars they'll eat beach uh beach leaves they'll eat whatever so you got to figure out by being in those areas what what they're you know feeding on at that time frame and it could be a lot of everything so that that can be that can be difficult of narrowing down a single food source so trying to find that cover and you know some of those train features I talked about earlier would be where I would start when it comes to that. As far as food sources go, so what kind of food sources am I looking for and how to find them? Um, so again, we'll start out with mass crops. Those are the the best you're going to have as far as a more of a destination type food source. They're not, um, you know, they're not a food plot. They're not. Um, they're not a ag, you know, they're not any sort of ag or crops. They, but they can be really good. So oak trees, acorns, red and white acorns, you know, the red and white oaks and white oaks is, as you probably know, are the preferred of the deer and um, they're typically smaller. The, the guys over at Exodus Trail Cameras put up a really, really informative video on this on their YouTube channel, how to identify the different oak trees. Highly recommend checking that out. And in addition to those as mass crops, if you're in Pennsylvania, we have a ton of cherry trees. A year like this year with black cherries dropping, those can be a, a big uh, a big feature as well as beech nuts. So the if you find any beech nuts in area, deer love those as well. And the last one that that it can be really good is apples. So if you have any apple trees, especially ones that hold on late, it seems like most of mine drop before the season. Um, but if you can get some that this is something my dad taught me, but it, some that these apples last, say they're on the trees for a while and they make it through a few frosts. It seems to make the apples more palatable to the deer then. They really flock to them after the cold weather rather than, you know, earlier on. They'll, they'll still eat them, you know, all the time. But that's where I start to see um, or where we've as a, as a family have started to see the, the bucks really starting to 
to focus on apples is after some of that cold weather is, is frosted them a few different times. So, and then, you know, on top, so after the mass crops, then looking at some of the less, um, less obvious ones and clear cuts are huge. If you find those clear cuts in the three to eight year old range, I think those have the most food in them. Um, whether that's briars, you're looking at, you know, there's dewberries, there's a whole bunch of different things that are in there that they're, they're chewing on and eating with. There's just so many, the fresh trees that are coming up, the, the limbs and the leaves on that, all that can be really good. And even different types of grasses, um, that you find in some of the bottoms or on the hillsides, all that stuff. It's, it's really knowing your area. It's to figure out what they are feeding on. And you don't need to be an expert in knowing all the different plants and all this stuff. Literally just using your woodsmanship and looking at it. Okay. They're milling around in here. looks like they're eating something. What are they eating? And trying to pick up on that kind of information and go from there. Uh, the next one is what is your process from the first trail cam photo to an encounter? How do you get from one to the other? All right. So this one is actually one I'm working on right now. So I got a picture of a, a really nice buck and all right. Like, so why was he here? Why was he here this time? Why wasn't he here any other time? What, what do I do next going forward? So then I pull up my map. So I'm looking at Onyx and I'm trying to figure out, all right, where could he be coming from? Where is he going to and why? So I, I have a whole log. I have a Google Sheets uh, online that I log all of my, the target bucks, the trail cam photos, the time of the day, the date, the weather. So I'm looking at the temperature. I'm looking at the wind. I'm looking at the the wind direction. I'm looking at the wind speed. And then looking even into the barometric pressure, what was going on precipitation wise. And after you catalog a lot of the stuff, you start to learn so, you know, okay, this deer is moving this direction with this wind speed. All right, what what do you think the thermals you're estimating? What were the thermals do if this was a side hill spot at this time of the day? Are they coming down the hill? Are they going up? What, what is going on? And now I'm trying to figure out, okay, say the camp, the, the picture was 7 o'clock at night. All right, so he's most likely leaving his bed going somewhere. All right, what direction is he coming from? And does that make sense uh, with the wind he, where he could be bedded? And I try to get put those scenarios together. And then maybe it's running more trail cameras. Maybe it's, you know, from hunts to figure it out. But from there, I'm trying to gather as much data as possible and use the, your best chance odds in your favor and trying to figure it out from that standpoint. You got to be careful because you can really overthink things here and and make it difficult on yourself. But I, I uh, that's kind of my process as I go through. But being able to stay organized and catalog that data and being able to go back and refer it with weather and everything else, it can definitely help you there. And getting into the next question, what trends do you see and how deer change elevation throughout the season? I think elevation is almost always correlated with food. Um, so there was an area I was hunting last year that was real big um, mountain type stuff, almost 1,400 feet from top to bottom. The tops were littered with oaks. As you came down the side hills, you had more beech and cherries. Um, 
and then you know into the the thicker bottoms that didn't have as much of the the regular food but essentially the acorns weren't there on the top of the hills so where all the sign i found in the spring because the year before had a good acorn crop they weren't there so they were down lower where the food was there was black cherries there was beech nuts they were down lower so food can affect them a lot um but as far as throughout the season i think that that all depends on the area but the these bucks are generally going to stay, you know, up say towards the, the upper third of the the hill in mountain buck country, um, up towards the tops a little bit more on the side hills if the food's there, and then, you know, as you get through later in the season, they might cross through the bottoms. I don't believe they live in the bottoms um, a ton. I think your best chances are going to be up on the hill, um, but as you get later in the season, if you get a ton of snow, if you're in Northern PA or Northern New York or any of those places where you're getting a lot of snow, it might push them down a little bit lower. I just, I know that from finding sheds, I find, you know, more sheds lower, um, in hard winters that in the bottoms than I do on mild winters where they're more sporadic, more up, you know, towards the tops, bottoms, kind of everywhere in between. So that's kind of how I see the deer using the elevation and and how they kind of do that throughout the season. And the last question I have for this episode is what to consider when identifying a respectable buck when hunting strict mountain only deer. So this question's this one's really difficult to answer because it's all going to come down to your goals and what you want out of it. Um, I think any buck from the mountains is is a respectable deer. I mean, I think that that's something to be proud of, but say you've got a few bucks under your belt and you're looking to hunt, say mature deer. My, for me personally, I'm looking for deer three years or older. Some may argue that's not fully mature yet, but I, I think with these type of deer, a three-year-old deer, you know, surviving the hunting seasons, doing all that is definitely uh, you know, a smart deer and there's not there's not really an antler size that you can correlate with this because there's bucks that I'll have that are five, six years old that never get over 125 inches, and then others that might crest that 170 inch range. So for me, I'm looking more at age um, than I am with antler size as far as when it comes into what I would consider a respectable mountain buck. Um, but just note that when you're hunting these types of deer, you're not always going to see those giant racks and that does not mean that they're not an old deer. So that's, and, and sometimes that doesn't even come with, I used to think like that antlers that were heavier and thicker meant an older deer. And a lot of times it does, but that's not the scenario. I have a buck on my wall that was aged at five and a half years old that had pretty thin antlers but his body was giant so the the bodies tell a lot more than i think the antlers do so that's kind of how i'm you know identifying bucks what i consider something i want to hunt what i want to shoot and go from there well uh i think that's enough for this episode here i hope that it was helpful this is my first chance at this if you thought it was terrible tell me that say bo go back to having guests on when you're doing these type of things, I, I my feelings won't be hurt. But uh, 
I, I just wanted to get some of these questions out of the way. The way I see it, the way I hunt, this is, again, my opinion. So use that how you know how you wish, and hopefully you can apply some of these things to your area to be able to help you out. And just want to wish everyone a good luck uh, throughout the rest of this hunting season. And hunting mountain bucks is a freaking blast. It can be very difficult. It can be stressful on your mind and your body, but it is so worth it when it comes to fruition. So if you do want to find some more information on the scouting portion um, and some of the videos on how I do things, head over to my YouTube channel, which is just my name again, Bo Martonic, and you can find all that information and then also all the previous podcasts I've done with great guests. There's a ton of stuff there um, to be able to help you out. But a lot more of this is coming from some more Q&A stuff coming up and and also some more with guests in the, the immediate future here. So, well, good luck to you again and take care. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.